When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's episode is the audio version of a thing I did with my friends over at Metal Injection a couple weeks ago called Slay at Home. This is a panel discussion hosted by my friend Rob from Metal Injection, uh, Vince from Metal Blade, and Matt from Trivium on the topic of monetizing metal. So we get into all the different ways that people can and should monetize their craft. I mean, we're talking about metal, but it applies to any kind of music or I think creators in general. So if that sounds interesting to you, then you are going to like this one. I think it was a really fun discussion. Before we get into that, there's a couple things you can do to support the show if you would like to do so. Number one, share it on social media. That helps us get the word out. Number two, you can buy some merch. There's a link to that in the description. Number three, you can support us on Patreon if you really, really like us. There's a link to that in the show notes as well and also if you enjoyed this make sure to support my friends at metal injection as much as i make fun of metal people they have been very good to me over the years i'm a huge fan of what they do check out their there's a video version of this on their youtube channel if you want to watch that and of course check out their coverage on youtube and on their website uh you know of all things metal so yeah let's get into this episode what is up metal injection junkies slayers at home slay at homers slayers at home (laughs) I'm very excited to be hosting this panel about monetizing heavy metal. It's going to be a discussion on how we here in the music industry continue to adapt through the digital age with new ways, uh, with brands and artists uh, monetizing with new tools. And I have first, he is a musician, a father, a foodie, the frontman of Trivium. Matt Heafy is with us. Thank you for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for having me. We also have Finn McKenty, who hosts an excellent YouTube channel, Punk Rock MBA, constantly giving great advice, not just to bands, but just uh, people who want some uh, people in the scene who need some proper career motivation. People and who I need have, help. Yes. Help the kids. And look, Oops. I have a pretty stable. Yeah, I have a pretty stable career and I feel like, uh, you know, I can learn something from your channel as well. So it's a great channel. Also, Finn is the director of operations for URM Academy, which is an online school for rock and metal producers. So that's really cool as well. And finally, we have the director of content and radio promotions at Metal Blade Records. This man is a metal industry lifer. We have Vince Edwards uh, with us as well. 
Hey, Rob. What's up, man? Thanks for uh, having me. This last year brought a ton of changes, and, and a lot of bands had to adjust and figure out how to make it without basically the primary source of income for most bands, which is touring, which did not exist. But before we get into that, I was curious, what is, what was your first official job or first official gig that you got paid for in the music industry? My first job was Trivium. Um, it was not a cash making or a cash positive business until probably, I don't know, I joined the band in 1999, but it wasn't until maybe 2006, 2007 that we actually started being able to make a living off of it. But a living is, you know, that was different days you know talking about trying to stretch out three to five bucks a day on food figuring that kind of stuff out and when to get gas and when to eat but it was trivium do you remember like the first money you ever made with trivium like the first like payment like i mean the first payment probably would have been playing the fairbanks in to seven people four of them would have been parents and selling a t-shirt or two so that first like 20 bucks I, i think from like a local show probably would have been it counts but we sold it to like my mom and our drummer's dad First thing I ever did making money off of music was making fanzines when I was, I don't know, probably started selling them when I was like 15 or so uh, out of my parents' basement, selling them through, you know, this is like 93, 94, selling them uh, through the mail. I sold a few thousand of them when I was in high school to people all over the world. And, you know, I didn't make much money off of it, a few hundred dollars or something. But, you know, looking back on it, selling zines through the mail is actually really hard. So I'm kind of proud of myself for that. I was a college radio DJ, ran a metal show and booked some shows uh, for my band at the time called Now a Murderer, a clockwork uh, orange reference. And I ended up booking shows at a Legion Hall, uh, a small handful enough that I had promoters reaching out uh, asking for guarantees. That made me nervous. And I I, uh, interned at Victory Records going into my senior year of uh, college, actually the the same year that uh, the BT BAM colors, uh, cover record came out and uh, Barrier Dead, uh, one of their records. I can't even remember at this point. Man, the where beating does it the go? breakdown. I think it was the beating the breakdown. I love that record so much. It's, it's, it's so perfect. Good. It it's is a, so good. That's a big Jason Sukov breakout yes, record, man. Yep, man. That was a very good record. There's this grand myth in the music industry that all a band really needs to do is get enough label attention to get signed and then all your dreams come true. You just need to get signed and you're set. You're set for life. Now, obviously, that's a fallacy. And and uh, as technology evolves, it's even more of a fallacy than it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. There's no big label contracts. And if there is, your band is not going to get it. <laughs> so uh, I want to start with you, Matt. When did you realize that this like, you know, Amer- American dream of music isn't real? Like that signing... The, the be all end all isn't just being signed. Uh, the first time we were signed, we we're signed to Life Force Records, who definitely has their infrastructure set now. They're doing very well. They've started a lot of amazing bands like us, Caliban, Heaven Shall Burn, Between the Buried and Me. I remember we were first signed to them when they were a little bit smaller. Uh, and I remember release date being super stoked, going to my local record store, going to the T section, finding Trivium. I was like, all right, the name plate's not here. Maybe it's sold out. That's pretty cool. I remember we took ads out in Guitar World paid everything that we had to do that little bit of things that Emberton Furniture just came out. I asked one of the store clerks, like, hey, do you guys have Trivium? He's like, what's that? It's like, we don't stock that. Like, all right. And I started calling around. It basically wasn't in stock at all in the States. Maybe maybe in New York, maybe in California, but not really. So that was that was eye-opening when we were signed. Um, and we just realized it's this isn't what we thought it was. Thankfully, that record ga- gained the attention of Monty Connor pretty early. 
Monty Connor from X Rotor Records. He emailed my our manager, who was my dad at the time, and he said, "You guys have got something special going on. I'm not ready to sign you yet. I'm curious to see where you will be." When we heard that, then that's when we took initiative to record three songs that we've been writing. Uh, shoot our own music video, finance our own music video, finance all this stuff, send that to him. Then we got signed to Roadrunner. That's when we're like, all right, now we're going to make it big. Signed to Roadrunner, the advance covered a Chevy conversion van, which we should have bought a passenger van instead because we could have been comfortable laying flat. And instead we had this freaking conversion van with sofas and stuff. So no one ever really got to lay flat. We, we had an idea of taking all the seats out and putting a couple of mattresses in there. So we're all laying flat the entire time, which is super unsafe and terrible. Uh, <laughs> And I remember going on those early van tours and being super stoked, super grateful, had a great time, but it was definitely eye-opening. Like when you think about the way shows like American Idol or The Voice show, how you basically, you go on a singing competition, all of a sudden you're a millionaire and you're playing arenas. That's really not the way it happens. And I feel like it is a very good thing when you have to start that way, when you have to start, you have to go from basically local band to local band in a van grinding again for years and years and working your way up. So it was tough, but obviously persistence and hard work and determination can end up into something good sometimes. Yeah. And, and you know, to be totally honest, you guys were like one of the lucky ones, you know, your label believed in you guys and, and, and gave you the support. I mean, I, I remember, uh, interning there while you, the year that you yep, guys yep. were blown up and you guys were a priority for Roadrunner. A lot of artists don't have that. And even with all of that, you guys, I'm assuming, were still kind of struggling to to make it for a few years before it finally I mean, became. We were all time. still living with my parents. There was a, there was a point where uh, Corey lived with me and my parents for a while. Paul lived with me and my parents for a while. We all lived there for a little while together. It's you. You have to do what you what you have to do what you got to do to make it happen because you love it and you believe it. And we've been so lucky with Rodner. We're still with Rodner. We've re-signed with them two or three times now. I love them to death. You know, we've we've definitely lost some of the early staff members that were there, but we're finding ourselves still working with them in other avenues, other channels. You know, some of our favorite PR people from the international offices all have their own PR, uh, ex like satellite companies that Rodner hires them to do our press there. So that's fantastic. Um, and it's you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have a label that believes in us, but we also believe in them. Like I said to Vince a second ago, you know, growing up with Metal Blade Records, I also grew up with Nuclear Blast and Roadrunner Records. And I remember being into those labels and being into everything they put out. Roadrunner is one of those labels that from the mid 90s to like the early 2000s, everything that came out, you knew if it had that Roadrunner label on it, it's going to be very good. And uh, that was we were very happy to be on Roadrunner Records. Uh, Finn and, and Vince, how about you guys? Obviously, you weren't signed, but like when, when did the facade of the music industry kind of shatter for you? Did you have like an aha moment? You know, I've never been in a real band that wanted to be signed or anything. So I can't comment on that. But as you said, I did have some moments where I kind of realized, oh, maybe being signed to a quote unquote big label really doesn't mean that much. For example, like I knew some, you know, or, or was friendly with some people who are in like victory bands back in the nineties, like bloodlet and stuff like that. And, you know, they were, living in crappy one bedroom apartments and, you know, working at warehouses when they weren't on tour and all that stuff. And, you know, that was first kind of moment of like, Oh, I thought if you were on victory, you were like a rich rock star, <laughs> you know, cause they have ads and, you know, hit parade or whatever. And then a couple years after that, you know, some people, I got to know some people who were on uh, like relapse or century media 
same kind of deal. And I'm not putting those labels down at all. I think they're you know great labels, but I was just very um, naive about everything you talked about, thinking that you know once you sign that big relapse contract, that's when all the money comes in. Because I don't know if you guys remember that uh, corporate death comp they put out in the 90s um, where they photoshopped their logo on some like big office building. Uh, and as a kid, I thought that was their actual headquarters. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, they have this cool like high rise office building. That's amazing. <laughs> I can't believe they make that much money putting out suffocation. Uh, and then, of course, you know, years later, I realized that wasn't the case. And that, you know, only continues to be the case uh, to this day. So, you know, I think there's just in all walks of life, there's kind of an idea that there's some the grass is always greener. And if only you do X, then you'll be at the top of the mountain and everything's cool. And few, I can finally breathe and, and never worry about anything again. And, uh, you know, if that exists, I haven't found it. Well, I, I was pretty lucky, uh, in having done college radio and college radio at the station I was at, at the school I was at, was a pretty good music industry education at WSUP in, in Southwestern Wisconsin. I got to interview a lot of metal bands at varying levels of success so, you know, one week I might be at the Rave in Milwaukee talking to Adam D. Next week I might be talking to Burn and Silence, who were on Prosthetic at the time, at a Legion Hall show. Um, and I remember I was actually at a Legion Hall show, met with a band to do an interview, and the tour was presented by an energy drink sponsor. And the turnout was not great. And they said, yeah, the energy drinks never even showed up for the tour. Uh, so I didn't come into Metal Blade as one of those fresh face kind of, I came in pretty fresh face, but the, that facade wasn't there of, yeah, everybody's on a tour bus. Um, yeah, it, it just, that was a really good education for me at the time to actually talk to artists for a good couple of years. Yeah. And now I feel with the internet and social media and, and stuff that we're going to talk about, most artists shouldn't sign to a label until they reach a certain point. Like you basically have to, I always looked at record labels as kind of a bank and the bank uh, you're, when you sign with a label, you're like going to a bank for a loan because you're going to have to pay back everything that they give you. You're not getting paid until they recoup all of their money. So basically as an artist, you have to make yourself a worthy investment. Uh, would that be accurate to say, uh, Matt, what do you think? I mean, I definitely, you know, I was talking about the early days, you mentioning that fact. I remember when we first got signed, talking to a lot of other bands that were bigger than us bands that we'd be supporting. And they would always, I don't know if you all remember, but I remember that old mentality of everyone always thinking that the label was the enemy. And I remember these bigger bands we'd support be like, yeah, we, you know, we take everything from them because screw them. And just thinking in my head, I'm like, they're going to take all these back from sales. So yes, it, it really is the kind of thing that if you're, when you're first starting, you have to take that loan to get your van to buy a guitar, buy an amp, uh, pay yourselves a little bit. Um, our whole thing was we always want to sustain and we always wanted to make it a way that whatever we made and whatever we need to pay for, we're paying for it for ourselves and not taking loans for those kinds of things. Um, and thankfully that ethos, we've, we've had that since I was 13 years old. I mean, that was one of the, the things that my dad taught me early on. He's like, we don't want to rely on people. Let's, let's make this self-sustaining. We have to take it from someone. We can do that, but we can keep working from here. And we're still carrying that to this day. Like I, I know we're going to talk about the future a little bit, but still that same concept of let's not take these giant advances. You know, that's something we, we hear a lot about. We're not a band that gets the giant advances. That, that'd be cool. But you know, that's the next echelon of bands above us. 
But whenever we do have stuff come in, we make sure we keep it in the pot always in case for a rainy day. So a thing like a pandemic happening, we were able to still pay our humble monthly stipends to keep us afloat. And that's what allowed us to eventually do that that paid for stream show that allowed us to buy the airplane hangar. So it's like carrying that kind of ethic early on and believing in, yes, you've got a label band relationship, but it's not one works for the other. It's the same concept we have with our crew. We always tell our crew, we tell anybody that worked forever, no one works for us. We all work together for the same common cause, the same common good. That's the same thing we've had with the label. Uh, a lot of the people that we've worked with at Roadrunner, um, some of them have been around kind of since like our fifth record or so. But I remember when we were working with Monty Connor, the old staff, that was from our second record. We're on record nine now. So it's, it's all about that partnership and wanting to work together and not trying to butt heads, not being like, well, screw you. I need money for this music video kind of thing. But thinking of it as a partnership, as if you work together in that very positive mindset, I feel like you can conquer greater and bigger things together. That's something I, I want to just touch on something that, that you said right there is, you know, you guys... It's like you, you run this business. It's like a, a living, breathing organism, this trivium that you have. And and one thing that's interesting that you mentioned is is a stipend. So essentially, when you guys get a, a, a payout, you're not just splitting it and not leaving anything. You you throw it all in the pot and you just take uh, you pay yourselves a salary. I'm assuming. Yeah, we don't month. we don't really. I mean, the only time we've ever taken a raise since becoming a cash positive band was strictly to pay our health insurance. So we're talking like an extra 500 bucks a month from the first time we ever became cash positive when we had these monthly payouts to who it is, you know, to the four of us in the band and making sure we always just have something. We always say just in case, just in case something happens. And that just in case proved, I mean, we're 16 months out from the last show we played, I think still, or maybe 14 or 16 months out. And still, because we were very smart and very careful with it, because we hear stories all the time of bands getting gigantic advances. And like, like I said, I don't know what that feels like, but I've heard of bands that blowing it right away. They just take that advance. They split amongst themselves. They buy things that don't generate future cash or future revenue, and they're not very smart with it. So we've always said, let's just be very smart with everything that we make and make sure that we can always pay ourselves, even if we can't tour for a while, even if we have to go away for a while. And those, those are concepts a little bit from each of us. Um, you know, we all had you know, very supportive families. And I'm not saying if someone doesn't have that, that it becomes impossible to succeed in the music business or anything in life, but it definitely helps. Like it, that, that gave us a little bit of a leg up that we had parents that were very savvy with that. My, my father was always telling me about like smart business moves and starting a production company to protect us legally for shows by the age of 13. You know, I thought that was a very good move that I wouldn't have ever thought of. Um, same thing with Paula's mom, Corey's parents, and, and this, those, those kinds of things carried, carried forward. And we're lucky to have that. Uh, Vince, you do some A&R work for, for Metal Blade, so you're constantly checking out bands. What, what would you say to, to an artist, like, how do they get in shape before Metal Blade considers looking at them? Like, what, what does an artist need to be considered, other than, like, assuming the music is good? I think it's pretty fair to say at this point, most metal labels are looking for artists that have all those things that Matt was talking about together. Uh, we want to see bands that have their merch game together that are able to generate content on their own that have kind of built cottage industries for themselves. Uh, because I, I think we're with, with some exceptions, most indie metal labels, if no one cares about a band getting signed to an indie label, isn't necessarily going to help that band. There's gotta be something moving for us to work with. It's why I'm, I'm, pushing so many bands to stream and be active online you got to give your label something to work with and your agent something to book 
especially now. Uh, when everyone goes back uh, to the road, if you're a mid-level to low-level band and you've been streaming, you now have loads of content and numbers to give a booking agent versus a band that sat at home and just was uh, stuck with doing day jobs or decided not to stream at all. That's a great point. And Finn, I know you do a lot of consulting work and you hear from bands like this all the time. And and what are some misconceptions that keep coming up that you have to like knock down for these up and coming artists? Well, there's a few of them. The main thing I think is what Vince said is that if you're a small band that's kind of not getting a lot of traction with what you're doing now, getting signed to a, a small label is not really going to change that because they're not magicians that have some, you know, secret formula that can somehow transform you into like something. If people didn't care before, they're not going to care after they sign with the label. So I, I really think that the common thread between what Matt and Vince are both saying is like, you really got to make it happen on your own. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to be able to do it all yourself before anybody else can come along and kind of pour fuel on that fire. And so then you might be asking yourself, well, then what's the point of signing? What's the label going to do for me? And I would say, well, that's a very good question to ask. And if you get to a place where you're relatively self-sufficient and you can you know kind of run the machine on your own then you get to do that deal on your terms because then the label comes to you and says hey we'd really like to work with you and you say great what are you going to do for me and then it is on the burden is on them to present you with a compelling you know deal that you want to say yes to that's better than what you're doing on your own so i, I think that's the way to think about it and then as matt said once you are signed like it, it is a partnership they're investing in you I think a lot of people maybe don't understand what labels even do. Like a label is not a manager and a label is not necessarily invested in, you know, you as an artist, they're there to promote the music that they own the rights to, you know, that's, that's their business. And so you need to understand that they're not going to, you know, necessarily do more for you than that. Um, and then I think it comes down to like the specifics of, any particular relationship you're going to have with the label, like who are you working with there? And what do you believe that those individuals are going to do for you? For example, you know, signing with Monty Connor, I would say that's an easy yes for just about anybody. Like you should do that because Monty is amazing and he will help you. Or people like Johnny Minardi, like these are great people who will help you. Um, if it's, if you want to be signed just for the sake of being signed, I, I think that's a mistake, you know, same as like publishing a book. Um, you know, a, a book that's released by a publisher is not inherently more interesting than one that's self-released. So I think that's kind of the biggest misconception is that there's somebody that's going to come along and hand it all to you. Like, here's the keys to the castle. Welcome aboard, kid. That's just not how it is. You got to build your own castle and have a cool little castle of your own. And if anybody wants to come along and offer you something better, cool. But you really ideally want to have your own castle that is running well on its own um, and you're sitting pretty so that, you know, you have you have all the leverage in any negotiation. Perfect. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I just want to add one thing quick that the best examples I have of bands that are successful with us, especially mid to low level bands, are bands that are willing to and go above and beyond with good communication. Uh, there are so many musicians that are ridiculously poor communicators. Uh, and coincidentally, none of those that I know of are streamers. Um, so the more you're willing to communicate and work with people, rather than uh, it, sometimes it feels like um, 
were working at bands rather than with bands and like having to tease information mm-hmm. out of bands. And I think it's in every musician's best interest to kind of get out of their own way and be better communicators. Absolutely. And those, those points are amazing. And, you know, it made me think back to, you know, we talked about Life Force and the, and the, the Roadrunner thing. It really was what caught the attention of Life Force and Roadrunner was my dad was like, hey, there's this thing called MySpace. We should get on that. I'm like, ah, do we have to do it? Let's, let's just make music. He's like, no, we need to make a MySpace page. This is the thing. This is where bands are getting picked up from. And we didn't get picked up from MySpace, but the label saw that we were putting in the initiative to do it ourselves. I'm like, okay, these guys can do this thing. And you know, what you're mentioning a second ago, Vince, too, like I've talked to so many labels or, you know, management companies and I'll never mention any other bands, but they've always said, wow, you guys are nice. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Everyone should be nice that you work with in life. They're like, yeah, but we've got bands that yell at us and talk to us like we're their employees and like all these things like that, whether from management or from labels or even in the streaming world that I've been in now, like I'll talk to reps from different companies that I work with or consult with. And they'll be like, it's so much nicer talking to you versus getting yelled at by some you know, like a game streamer that we used to get. And guess who's going to get more opportunities? The yeah. person who's enjoyable to work with or the asshole. It's very, very simple. Treat people the way you want to be treated. It's a very, very simple concept that I feel like is lost a lot. And I think that that sitting around and waiting for someone to do the work for you really <laughs> hurts you and it hurts you in the end. And what Finn was saying to it, it made me think, so I have met some bands that are able to DIY it and they're doing very well. Like they manage themselves, they book themselves, they make their own label, they make their own label, their own merch, everything. And it works that way for them. For certain people like, like me, I know we couldn't do that because of like the stream schedule, because my family, because the kids. So it all, it all is figuring out what works for you. Like if you know you can DIY the hell out of it, you can, but what's going to be tough is yes. What a label is very good for. Cause I, I brought these questions to myself, to my manager, like, all right, what if we ever wanted to hypothetically do this on our own? He's like, well, then we lose the, you know, the promo department in Eastern Europe and in South Africa mm-hmm. and in South America and all these people that have been plugging the record for these years. And, um, and that's that, a great that, example of a label truly adding value. If all they mm-hmm. do is like press publish on DistroKid, well, that didn't really do much for you. But if they're like, well, we're going to promote it in all these different territories, well, okay, that might be a compelling offer. Mm-hmm. And then when you decide to work with them too, as a band, no matter, no matter the level of the status, because that's another thing we've seen now during quarantine pandemic touring, going away, that band level above my, my band's level, that, that bigger band, that the guys that are cleaning up on uh, radio royalties who were arena bands, they don't need to worry about doing side things right now. They don't have to do live shows, live streams, live things like that. We had to do a paid for it live show because we had to fill that pot back up to pay ourselves to make sure we could pay our crew just a little bit as they sit around or, or have to find new jobs and hopefully we can string them along till we get back on tour but it's our band size and below that i really fear for like that is hard it's it's costs a lot of money to put on a live show to maybe not necessarily get your streaming rig going and eventually to, to build up it does but that's the size of band that I, that I feel for. And I keep telling everybody that we need to support like the bands in that mid to small level. If we want them to still be around, we have to support them everywhere we can merch. If they do live stream shows, do that. When we kind of saw the writing on the wall, it's like, we have to just keep working. And, and thankfully I'm very thankful that everyone in the band, the four of us in this exact lineup of Trivium, we're all religious practitioners of what we do. We never take time off. I never take time off of singing. I used to. And that's the kind of ethos I feel like bands out there all need to have. They need to have that same super hungry, like, like you just got signed kind of vibe. Like I'm going to practice till I don't want to practice ever again. Then I'm going to do it again tomorrow, the next day, next day, next day. And that's the kind of work ethic we'll need to have.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Another thing that I think you have consciously or unconsciously understood, especially with the Twitch stuff that more artists need to understand is that the artist is the product, not the music. You mentioned before that there's bands that just want to, they say, well, let's not do MySpace, Let's not do X, Y, or Z. We just want to write songs. Well, then you're in the wrong business. Like this is the entertainment industry. Your job is to entertain people. Sometimes you do that by playing music. Sometimes you do that by getting on Twitch and playing GTA with them. You are the product and the thing that people want to connect with, not the music, in my personal opinion. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. I feel like it needs to be, it may not be for every single band person of every band, but it is important that with the amount of content we're all hit with daily, each of us even, we get on our phone, get on one of our apps, the amount of stuff we see, the amount of air traffic that's taken up, you need to realize that like 
you need to be within that. When my streaming first started, I had a band guy mention. He's like, hey, don't you think streaming your live shows for free to your channel, does that de-incentivize people to want to come to your shows because they, they could just watch the stream from their bedroom? And I said, well, you can never simulate a metal, a rock, a punk, a metalcore show, a hardcore show. You can't simulate that. You have to be there. So I would rather, if someone's not at our show, and they want to watch something that that's maybe not as good as being there that, that they're watching us instead of something else. So I, I don't, I guess that sounds selfish, but it's like constantly giving your, your fan base, the thing that they have helped support you to do your entire life. So I think one thing that we're all in agreement about is that before you get signed, before you're making crazy money in the music industry, you have to build a following. You have to build a community. You have to have loyal fans, interact with them. And my question would be, how? How do you do this? Uh, it's There's so much internet right now, so much social media, so many platforms, and there's so much competition. Uh, on Twitch, you're competing against every other Twitch streamer. Uh, on, on Facebook, it's nearly impossible to get into the newsfeed. And I think uh, it's easy to talk about all the mistakes smaller artists make about, you know, trying to guilt their friends into social interactions or coming to shows, which just never works. Like you, people have to want to like you. You can't guilt them. Nobody owes you anything. I think that's yeah, the, a big... The <laughs> the chart, the graph of how old you are versus how cool it is to invite your friends to your band show as you age is it, it's inverse. I don't know where you're going with this, Rob, but what I like about streaming and the accessibility of tech now and why I want to shake bands like a, a, an infant in a, with a British nanny is that learning the tech and learning how to stream, it's empowering. It allows you to generate income and reach your fans directly without any interference from anybody else. Why wouldn't you want to learn how to do that as an artist is, is my question. What, what's the downside to that? Um, and at, at any level, it's worth attempting just to learn it. Uh, worrying about are people going to watch it or am I doing the same thing that someone else is doing is creating a problem for future you or inventing a problem that doesn't exist. Uh, get your get your dip your toes in the water and at least give it give it an attempt. What's the how do you start building a community? That, that that's what I was going to pose. So, uh, Matt, what do you think? Like definitely wanting to build community like is is a key. Like if it's something that's never been in that person's character, I, I don't know who wouldn't want to like build some something nice because when we well, started, I think there's a lot of people that would just like to sit in the room and play guitar and and yeah. and, and and anything else they see as a chore or an obligation. I remember we toured with the band. Uh, and I'm always flattered and humbled and blown away when someone ever says, hey, I was a fan of your band. I'm in a professional band now. And I found out that I was one of his earlier favorite guitar players. I was like, I tell you what, man, every single day of this tour, I will give you a guitar lesson. Like he, he was like saying, he always wanted to shred. I remember setting it up. I, I talked about it the day before I set it up. An hour passes, two hour passes. And I text him, hey, man, do you, you want to do this thing or not? I'm, I'm ready to start teaching you how to learn everything you want. He's like, you know what? I just can't be fucked to practice on tour. So I was like, okay, cool. And this kid was much, much younger than me too. So I was like, wow, there's just no drive in there. So that, that maybe is a, is a component that, that hurts one end of it. But ever since Trivium, I've always wanted to have a community, always had a place that whatever vibe you're feeling, wherever you're into, whatever you're, Wherever you're from, it's a place where we can all celebrate what unites us. There's so many things that divide us. There's so many, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm into this style of music, I'm into that style of music. All these things to, to kind of rip us apart from each other. But I try to make it where it's a Trivium show or a Trivium record or my stream is a place where it's 
It's your bar. It's your church. It's your therapist couch. It's your punching bag. Whatever you need that to be, it is that. And I've always wanted that since I was, since I was, I mean, when we're, when we're kids and we're, we're bullied or we're the only person that likes one kind of thing. Like when I got into gaming, when I got into metal, no one else liked it. I mean, I was the only kid with long hair wearing a double XL Crisian t-shirt, cut off combat pants and combat boots when I was 15 years old. And then when I was 16, while everyone's driving with their yellow Mustangs down, listening to rap, I'm listening to Crisian again, or like Demo Borgir with the windows down in my truck. And I wanted to find other people that thought that was cool. So I, you know, you bring some people in, um, when you start to see people converge into something good and you start to meet like my channel, for example, my moderators, they all flew from different parts of the world to all go to one of my moderators weddings and they all hung out and are best. I want, that's the stuff I want to see or a trivium shows when someone proposes to someone or they've got their kid there in a trivium show. Like that's the stuff that that's the stuff that dreams are made of. Like, creating this world where people can, regardless of politic, like political affiliation, religion, uh, race, creed, ethnicity, everything, they could just forget about all of that and sing the same song together. So I feel like anyone that creates anything should want that. And it took me a long time to realize, because, you know, when I was 12 through 25, I was like, I'm going to be in the biggest metal band in the world. We're going to be bigger than our heroes, the same as our heroes. Next Metallica, all that stuff that we all know that I said as a cocky 19-year-old, which is cool. I think that's cool. 18, 19-year-old, if you come out and say, I'm going to be the biggest thing in the world, prove it. And cool, good on you. Um, but it's since shifted. It's since shifted to I'm going to be the best Matt Hafey at all the Matt Hafey things in the world. And I'm finally comfortable. Like I kept saying, why isn't our band as big as this band? Why isn't our band as big as that band? Why aren't we playing arenas? Or why aren't we the headliners of this festival? doesn't matter. We have this amazing fan base that I don't have to worry about. Am I going to make the mortgage? Am I going to, can I afford groceries right now? And it's, it's all thanks to having this community. And I've always said, Trivium, we're not... We're not the press band and we're not the band's band. And that's okay. It, it took me, I was a little bit upset about it for a long time, but we're not the band that gets the awards, the magazine covers, or we're the band that has all the other bands on the side stage watching us at festivals. But we are the band that there are more people there. There are more Trivium shirts there. There are more people who've been with us for whether a month or 21 years. And, and that's, that's the key. Those are the people that are going to keep you alive. And in turn, you're going to keep them alive with the stuff that you make. And that's kind of uh, what, I, what I was getting at is like, how, how organically can you build up that passion? Again, assuming the music is good. Obviously, number one, the music has to be good. Uh, we're, we're beyond that. <laughs> so the music is good. Anybody can write a good song. How do you get people to, to I, want to I think the it? question you should ask yourself is like, where are the existing streams of attention and how do I be part of them? Uh, and it's, it's just very simple and tactical. Right now, for example, TikTok is one of those. And I know there's a lot of people in metal who roll their eyes at TikTok and think they're too good for it. You're not too good for it. Or if you think you are too good for it, fine, then go do something else. For example, I mean, how many subreddits are there about metal? Tons of them. What if you are an active member of those subreddits and you posted there every day for years, not promoting your stuff, but just being a part of it. And then when the time is right, you're like, oh, hey, by the way, I have a band. If anybody would be interested, do you think that would help you? I bet it would. What if you're in Facebook groups did the same thing? And again, I think TikTok to me is like the clearest place that you can get a ton of attention right now very easily, the same way as you could in the early days. You know, you remember the, old, the good old days of Facebook when you could actually just post a link and it would reach people. You know, TikTok is like that now. So, you know, what are people talking about on TikTok now and how do you become part of that conversation? For example, if there's some challenge going around, going around right now, do the metal version of it. You know, I mean, and if you think you're too good for this stuff, fine, do something else. But 
the the macro idea to me is where is the existing of the people you want to reach? Where is their attention now? And how do you put yourself in the spotlight of that attention stream? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. and that that those are great points. Like prog metal is one of the best metal subreddits out there. It rules. I, I'm on prog metal finding bands almost every day. It's a really uh, good inclusive community. And I think one thing artists might struggle with, uh, I guess there's two kind of points I want to make really quick here. You have to figure out your hook is a band. What makes mm-hmm. your band interesting? If you can't answer that question, if you can't write a two paragraph band bio about why someone should care about your band, ew, there's an issue there. And finding your hook goes in tandem with what makes your stream interesting or your content interesting. There's definitely been an there's always bands that say we want to be more mysterious. Okay. That doesn't mean do nothing. Exactly. You have to figure out how to do that stream on your terms, do social media on your terms. That doesn't mean one Facebook post a month and put out the record and hope for the best. It doesn't Um, mean putting out a, a, an Instagram post with the TV static filter and soon underneath it. (laughs) Yeah. That's why we stopped. That's why we stopped leading up records. We kept seeing people do like a picture of their shoe on a mixing board. Like you're not ready. So now we just (laughs) never tell anybody until the entire thing is done. We have curated experience, music video, like that kind of thing. Like, yeah, figuring out, it doesn't have to be that way, but yeah, figuring out what your thing is and definitely being out there. Vince, what would you say? I think most artists, if you ask them what their hook is, their answer would be our music. What would your answer be? And I don't think that's good enough. What would your advice be to that person? Well, what what's the artistic concept of the album? What's the lyric concept of the album? Um, it, it's a total package, right? Uh, what, do, what do your band photos look like? Um, it, it doesn't mean that doing like a cookie cutter metal is a bad thing. It's what about that that's interesting? Do you have some sort of crazy philosophical space lyrics or there's got to be something in there for some some people to chew on. I mean, metal has plenty of bands that write really interesting creative lyrics that gives fans something to think about and listen to and talk about on the prog metal subreddit, for example. Um, you have to figure out something along those lines that really make it really make it work. Uh, it, uh, this conversation just reminded me of uh, like a case study, basically Eve Six. I don't know if you guys mm. have been following, but they've blown up on Twitter in the last three or four months. I haven't thought of Eve Six in a decade. Seventh but... grade is last time I thought of it. <laughs> but yeah. Because the, the dude's fr- Twitter game is fucking unbeatable. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've and, seen and some incredible. pictures and some quotes. <laughs> I, he just started shitposting the singer and uh, and people started retweeting it. The post had little to nothing to do with the music. It was just him doing social commentary. I guess some of it might have been like, oh, when I was on tour with Third Eye Blind, you know, Stephen Jenkins did something stupid and that blew up, you know. But the point is, he grew his Twitter from, you know, single digit thousand followers to tens of thousands of followers. And then they put out a single. And I got to tell you, I listened to the single just because I was like, well, what are they up to now? Like, I'm so... (laughs) I'm so engaged with the singer now. And like, you know, yes, people think that that they fall in love with the music first, then they fall in love with you as the human. And maybe that's how it worked in the 50s or something. I don't know. But now I think it's the other way around. I'm much more inclined to check out Eve six. I mean, their music's fine. But, you know, now that I know that he's fucking hilarious, I'm far more inclined to check out their music because I like him, you know, (laughs) and and there's the same like rappers are so good at this. They're I would say rappers now are almost like 
reality TV stars who happen to make music. And you can, you know, you can criticize that for lots of probably good reasons. But to me, that's what it's about is like building yourself and your band up as a personality or group of personalities who like are cool, interesting, smart, funny, whatever angle you want to take. And that's what's going to make people care about music, not the other way around. It's really it's really a bit of a growing up thing, too, the, the more you think about it, that I, at one point in my life, was a shitty metal kid that was, if it's not metal, it's crap, harumph. Years later, I, I'm going to be 37 this year. Now, when I see creator, I see creators willing to embrace the grind and make it, you know, Billie Eilish, for example, I don't think, ah, it's crap, I think, man, good for them. That's almost impossible. She's so amazing. Like when I saw that documentary, I was blown away and I did see like a lot of people. Luckily, I've always said we're in the metal world and we cross over in like metalcore world a little bit. I saw people from the rock world taking a lot of jabs at her. She has less songwriters on her what six Grammy award winning records than a lot of the stuff we hear in active rock now. Less songwriters than rock bands, which and is by the crazy way, that's one. The, <laughs> the reason why she has a lot of songwriters is not necessarily because there's more people working on her songs than other artists. It's because if you work on a Billie Eilish song, you're going to fucking make sure you get credit yeah, she's for that. She's so good. Yeah. And it's just her and her brother. That's what blows my mind. Like it's like the, the, the people that you're listening to. And I just love to see that. And the yeah. fact that it's like her and her brother, that's a hook. Yeah. It's, you know? it's amazing. Like it's amazing. this is a hook that we're talking about right now. Uh, a brother and sister duo that made a basically bedroom record that blew up. So that's good. a hook. So, you have the band, you have the music, you've taken all of our advice and you've built a healthy community. Now, the songs themselves, they're basically promos. You're not, uh, I mean, on the one hand, I think metal with album sales clearly does a little better than other genres. Metal fans are more likely to actually buy the music as we've seen with metal artists, artists being uh, number one on the top album sales chart and then like number five or six on the top 200 because uh, a hip-hop artist just blows them away with streaming numbers. Uh, but beyond that, though, for, for an up... Like, we're, we have this fictional up-and-coming band that we're giving advice to here. So they have their, their community now. They have their songs. Uh, good streaming numbers. How do they make money off of their community? How do you make money off of an uh, Instagram page with... 10,000 followers or 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 a, a TikTok page with a few thousand followers or, or even, you know, I, I know the answer for the, for the Twitch stream, so we'll leave Twitch uh, for the end. But those other ones, how, how would you monetize social media? Those are tough. Those, those you have to get into sponsorship partners that want to be paying you per Instagram page or per Instagram post like that. That's, I feel like that's almost a world that we don't see as much in like mm -hmm. metal rock punk. That's, that's like the next echelon. That's like pop world essentially. Um, as far as those platforms go, but there's so, no reason why it couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you go find, for example, like my manager who sells all the brand deals on my YouTube channel, there's no reason like he would, he would talk to a band if they came to him and said, hey, we're interested in brand deals. He'll talk to you. Why not? It's, it's figuring out something creative. It's definitely like looking at the space and saying, what can I provide? Um, I, you know, when this started, stuff started happening, the Twitch channel started doing well. Um, I was consulted by once it was with a school and once was a festival on how to start working. Like, how could I help them build their presence? Not necessarily just for streaming, but kind of online. And it really is getting creative and it's figuring out like, hey, I could provide this, this, and this, and this. And you guys can provide this for me and help sustain what I'm doing here. So they really have to get 
improvisational, creative. My personal opinion on this is that if people feel like they know you, if you have formed what is called a parasocial relationship with your audience, which is, you know, we've all had people we've probably followed on the internet for years and we feel like we're friends with them, but they don't even know we exist. That's a parasocial relationship. And if you can create that relationship with your fans, they will give you money just because they like you and they want you to keep doing what you're doing. For example, Patreon, that's, that's what Patreon is. Like I have 400 some patrons and, uh, probably around five or 10% of them ever actually consume the content that I put out exclusively for patrons. And that's been true of everyone else I've asked. And so what that tells me is that they don't actually care about, it's not a transactional relationship to them, to them in which like I'm paying because I get your podcast a week early. They're just giving me money because they like me and they want me to keep doing what I'm doing. And I think that is the way to think about it with, you know, whatever size your audience is, like build a relationship with, with them, like Matt has done so well on, you know, uh, on, on Twitch. And then, you know, basically just give them a reason, give them an excuse to give you money, like merch or a, a, a paid live stream or, you know, whatever it is, give them an excuse to give you money and they'll do it. Yeah, that, that's essentially the point that I was going to make is you have to make it easy for people to support you, whether that's through Streamlabs donations, Patreon, Bandcamp, merch. Make it easy for fans to support you and make those links prominent across all your socials. It shouldn't take a lot of clicks and a lot of digging for fans to figure out how can I support this band. And don't that, feel bad really about it. asking either. Like, make it fun. Like, uh, my friend Johnny Frank uh, it, it, is a in a band i guess it's his band called bill murray b-i-l-m-u-r-i he has so much fun with like his merch and stuff and for being a relatively small artist he does super well on it because of that because it's like the you know i guess what you would call business side of it to him is not a chore he has fun with it and looks at it as another creative outlet and i think that's um i think that's a mental switch that a lot of artists need to flip is like don't feel bad about asking people to buy your stuff just make it good. I think that's important. You can't yeah. just slap a shitty logo on a shirt and charge 30 bucks for it. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, it, if you feel bad about asking people to buy your thing, maybe it's because your thing isn't that good and you should make it better. So the super quick story, we played a show in Barcelona. Afterwards, the promoter said, hey, there's some YouTubers here. Um, do you want to meet them? And we're like, well, there's a lot of people on YouTube. Let's check out what they've got. Um, one of them had 7 million subs. The other one had 2.5 million. The other one had 1 million. We're like, we'll, we'll gladly say hello. So, so we met these guys. When they left the room, I said out loud, I was like, I want to start making stuff on YouTube. And Paolo looked at me and said, why don't you start on Twitch? I was like, oh, yeah, that's that gaming thing, right? And he's like, yeah, you love games. You should do that. I mean, I've been playing games before I've been speaking English fluently. So when I started getting onto it, I was playing games in front of two to three people a day, super stoked, really into it. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of the fact it was a thing to be monetized. It was a thing for me that... Coming into this world out of like with Trivium in mind and me saying like, we've never been a band's band. We've never been a press band. We've never been a press darling with the exception of the UK. It's like, I wanted to give our fans more like, hey, thank you for allowing us to keep doing what we're doing. This is the next level. Like if you like Instagram, you like to see what I'm eating. Let's talk live together and get to know each other. Because I really like to, I love to see the same faces it shows. I know my subs, I know my subscribers by name. I know, I know like what kind of games they like or what games I play with certain subs. And I like those relationships. And it just became a side effect of it that it, bec it became my second job ever. But when it did that, it was bringing the people that have already supported me through Trivium. Hey, let's come over here. Let's get to know each other even better. And 
showing them the same thing they like me from the first place. Like they love Trivium. So the biggest thing on my channel is me playing Trivium songs, which is the thing I have to do anyway to stay in shape. Like I said, I don't like to take off time for voice, guitar, vocals, performance ever. So 75 to 90% of the stream is me playing Trivium songs to people who want to hear it live. And when my friend, my mentors from Twitch first said, when I was just gaming and it was a small channel, I said, I wish I could stream more. I love it, but I can't because I have to practice guitar and vocals one to four hours a day, five days a week. I said, why don't you stream that? I said, no one wants to watch me play trivia songs every day and do vocal exercises on tour. He's like, I bet you they do. And that was the turning point. That's when the channel became something that helped sustain. This, I, thankfully, thanks to the people on my channel, I've been able to sustain my family for this entire pandemic, this entire 16 months without shows. Um, and it's led to things like the live paid show that we did, which was like that, the at the time, the most successful paid ticketed show, because we've been doing all our shows for free. Every Trivium show has been for free for the last four years on my channel. And we're going to do the same thing on this next Megadeth Lamb of God um, in Flames Trivium tour. Every show is me free. Every single but to be thing. clear, it's just a one camera thing. Whereas uh, the... Yeah, it's it's a gun run IRL backpack with the, 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 the audio is particularly amazing because our sound guy mixes it for Twitch. So it's just, yeah, side, side view cam. It's a thing to keep the channel going. Right. A thing that everyone that can't make it can still be with each other can still hang out with their friends um yeah one thing and, i wanted to say you were mentioning that earlier about how uh, artist friends of yours were criticizing you for streaming your shows for free saying like oh why would someone pay for a ticket i think they have it completely backwards it's not that they think like oh i don't need to go to the show now i could just watch it for free it's the opposite it's it's the fomo of like wow this looks so fun yeah. like what listening to a live stream watching a live stream with your headphones on your body doesn't shake from the bass sound, yep. you know, like you don't feel that reverberation. It's and you don't get to hang out with your friends at the bar. And yep. Yeah, it's a completely different experience. There are so and many restaurants I went to because of Anthony Bourdain. Like I'd see him at this place. I remember we went to the place he recommended St. Peter's or St. Petersburg, uh, Russia. And like, it's because I saw it. I was like, that looks really good. That looks amazing. I want to eat that. I'm going to go there with my best friends in the world. We're all going to interact and like make more content off of that. And that's exactly what I think. It is. I think there's a, a few of us really trying to drag the metal scene kicking and screaming into the future because there's, <laughs> there's a, there's a very old, old school contingent really digging their heels in. And for a long time, I remember hearing, we can't stream this show. It'll affect ticket sales. And now boosts, every yeah. metal, every metal agent manager on earth has the data to show that that's as false as it could possibly be. Bands that could sell 30, 40, 50,000 tickets on a U.S. tour May, might sell what two to three thousand streaming tickets globally somewhere around there like ballpark uh just throwing some numbers out there but that's that's a fraction of the people that would go see a band live and we know now i think moving forward streaming and live shows will exist hand in hand that doing a paid streaming event touring and streaming as a strategy all work together yep yeah you always have to be thinking of the future and that's why when we we looked at what this channel was doing we're like wow trivium fans really like this all four of us the man alive channels and that hangar i've been mentioning so trivium bought an airplane hangar and we're turning that into a studio slash storage slash streaming room so we could do paid for shows there we could do free shows there we're talking about doing like a mix of you know we always, we always talk about how much trivium loves food and we love hanging out with other bands and exposing them to good food like let's bring band guys over here and let's do a show like anthony bourdain would have done but our version and show them Orlando, show them this hangar, let's jam with them together, that kind of thing. And so it's always thinking these improvisational fun ideas, like, hey, what else can we do in creative thin air? That's why I love the music world so much. That's why I love the streaming world so much, is you can just make things and you can make them great, make them up. Every artist that I've gotten, gotten to stream, if even just a few times, they've realized that number one, it's actually fun. 
Number two, the fan interaction is a good time at every level. It doesn't matter if it's a few people or a lot. And even if you don't necessarily know what to stream, if you start by playing your music, those other ideas and collabs will come down the road randomly mm -hmm. because with Twitch or YouTube, it doesn't really matter what platform you choose. Twitch might be a little bit better of an example of this. You're part of a community that will reach out to you and collaborate. Like Herman from Dragon Force has done a ton of collaborating since he's joined Twitch. And it's come because he's on the platform. Uh, you'll get rated by other channels that are streaming in your category. None of that will come if you don't put yourself out there no band grows by saying no to opportunities. And that's like a mantra we have with every band we sign and work with. And it's, it's really hard sometimes to get bands to want to put themselves out there because there's, I don't know if it's like a self-conscious thing or a fear of the internet. I've talked the to a couple bands that are hostile. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of bands that are much bigger, like super savage. Like I still look at them as superstars and they've asked me about Twitch. And the first thing I was bringing up to like, what about the negative comments? It's like, it doesn't matter, man, at your level, you shouldn't even, that's a good thing that you've seen them. But if it's your Twitch channel, just delete them, ban them. It's that easy. You don't like it, just yeah. ban them. They're gone. And that's what I, I love Twitch about Twitch is it's also a lot it. less hateful than say like Facebook comments. Yeah. YouTube, for, for me really. personally, I've made like a sliding scale of positive negative for me. And I'm not saying it applies to everybody, but it's Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Like my yeah, YouTube comments, it's like five right. to 15% negative, but that's the most negative that I see. And my Twitch is 99.9% .9 positive, which yeah, is if awesome. you're used to, if you're used to Instagram comments as an artist, Twitch in my experience and the artists I've worked with couldn't be further from that. Yeah. Cause it's right there. You can explain to them. Like I, I, I remember one of the, the bigger artists that was talking to me, asking me about it. I was like, it's the same way you'd handle anything. If it's super hateful and terrible, block report if it's something kind of stupid you can get them back with humor or in your own way dude if 2020 taught us anything is we all have to learn and get better at leaning into it yeah that's really it and what what i found too with streaming and bands in particular is uh viewers for streams tend to understand that artists are allowing a window into their world and you kind of take care to know that when chatting and in comments especially when it's a band that's uh, a mid to high level band it's just it's more the whole point is it's more positive than i thought it would be for music mm -hmm. and i'm really just trying to beat bands over the head with that information it's, amazing. it's, it's like a fan club and it's it's live yeah. and i think that's that's one of the great things and to yeah each the, dude the, this is the new fan club this mm -hmm. this is what this is it's like a meet and greet but it's actually way cooler because you don't have to like push everybody through their like cattle and charge them and all the weirdness that comes yeah. with being great. When I've had people yes. say that to me, they're like, Oh Matt, you just have video game thing all day. It's like, I rarely play video games on my stream. So they, it just shows that yeah. they're doing their homework. You got to do your homework too. I could stream myself editing videos. I, there are people who do that. Yep. You know, I, I mean, or even like, like with tick, stream TikTok doing your work. Being, oh yeah. yeah. TikTok being like a dance platform. It's not like I get financial. Do whatever. Yeah. My biggest, my biggest TikTok video is me using a hairdryer air, like water bottle cut in half with tape to fill up an inflatable pool. Cause I was mad at it. And I couldn't inflate <laughs> it. That's my biggest, biggest clip. Like you can, you figure out what's authentically you and Finn. I love that idea. I've actually told that to another one of my friends who does very well on YouTube. They're like, well, what do I do on Twitch? I was like, people love your videos. If you stream your process, like you at, I don't know, like I picture like friends hanging out on a couch talking about, Hey, what if we did this, this, and this, and like testing out the skit, that kind of thing, streaming that. And then the final product being up, like, I think that'd be a really fun thing. First, you for miss a hundred percent of the shots. You don't take Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Michael Scott. Matt Hafey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, on that note, um, if you guys are going to still chat, still chat, but I got to get to my kids. So it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you I was so gonna much. Wrap everybody. Up. 
completely. Okay. Uh, thank you so much to all of you for for dedicating your time. This has been an incredible discussion. I really hope that the Slay at Home watchers uh, were able to pick something up. Before we go, is there anything you guys uh, personally want to plug? Uh, let's start with you, Matt, since you have to go. Matthew K. Hafey on everything. Twitch through TikTok. Do it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and Ibaraki's out later this year. My black metal record. I've been working on it for 11 years. And those rash guards. Yes. Half sumo. It's so good. So good. <laughs> How about you, Finn? Where, where can people check you out? Finn McKenty or the Punk Rock NBA everywhere. Uh, my YouTube channel is probably the thing people would be most interested in. YouTube.com slash the Punk Rock NBA. That's MBA, not NBA. M is in Mary. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and Vince? I, I'm at Metal Vinny. Uh, definitely go to MetalBlade.com for all our new stuff and buy the new Cannibal Corpse record. So if you don't good. own it already, what are you doing? All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.